Welcome to the Startup of the Year podcast, where each episode we showcase exciting new companies from around the world. This podcast is produced by Established, creators of the Startup of the Year program. Established is focused on helping organizations with their innovation, startup, and communication strategies. Welcome back to the Start With Your Podcast. I'm Frank Gruber, the co-founder and co-CEO of Established, co-founder of Established Ventures, and the team behind the Start With Your community and this very podcast. On this episode, it's number 100. If you can believe that, that's amazing. We've uh, we've been doing this for a few years and excited to get to episode 100. As today, I'll be talking with Mike Evans. Seems fitting. He was at some of our earliest events uh, back in, in Chicago when I first got started with Tech Cocktail in 2006. He was just getting started with Grubhub. And today we're going to talk about what he's been up to. And most you know most of you know him probably as the co-founder of Grubhub. He also is the co-founder of another company that just started a few years ago called Fixer. And that's a Chicago-based company that's the right now handyman service and they're starting to expand. So that's pretty exciting. Mike also has a new book and it's called Hangry, A Startup Journey which is his memoir about co-founding Grubhub that published on November 1st. Go grab yourself a copy if you haven't already. It's such a real book. I think you'll enjoy it. If you go to mikeevans.com, it's Mike, M-I-K-E-E-V-A-N-S.com. You can learn more about the book. You can also find it anywhere books are sold. It's, I think, on its way to being a bestseller, and I'm excited uh, to be talking to Mike here shortly about it. Before we dive in, though, I wanted to take a moment to you know celebrate all about that. If you read my book, uh, Startup Mixology, you probably know that. But we have to celebrate these milestones along the way. Uh, when you're starting and running companies, uh, there's a lot of a lot of things that that um, you know are fun, but there's a lot of ups and downs too. And obviously, this is one that's exciting. We've got 100 episodes out out here in a second. Once we get this episode done of the Start of Your Podcast, and I'm thrilled to say that that we've been able to accomplish that. But we couldn't do it without all of you as listeners. So I wanted to take a moment to thank you all for being here and being a part of our Startup of the Year community and listening regularly to this podcast. I would love to ask that we you know, continue to listen, obviously, because I definitely love having you. But if you have anybody you think might find it helpful, this podcast, please do share it. We want to continue to expand our reach and help as many people as possible. But again, couldn't do it without you. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a part of this growing community. And uh, we're here to help you. Um, Obviously, I also want to thank all the people that helped to make it possible. The list is too long um, from, you know, this goes back a few years and we've had a lot of different uh, cooks in the kitchen, if you will. But uh, we seem to have found uh, consistency and a regular um, voice, I guess you could say, with this current format. So appreciate all those that have been a part of it, continue to shape it um, on a regular basis. I really appreciate it. And obviously couldn't do it out without our current uh, producer, John Guidos. He's our COO. He's been building this out for the last couple of years with me. And uh, we've had a lot of fun doing it. So thank you, Johnny. Good times. Those of you that probably listen to or might listen to our Start or Somewhat Frank podcast, he's on there as well. And uh, appreciate his involvement and in being able to help keep this as consistent as we can as we try to get an episode out just about every week. All right. Thank you again. Keep listening. We're looking forward to the future of additional uh, episodes. And we're not ready ready to hang it up yet. We've got many more to come and hopefully hundreds more. So Let's, uh, we'll continue to bring the interesting interviews and continue to up our game as we try to bring you the information that will help you along your startup journey. All right, let's go. All right, next up, uh, we've got, uh, we got to shine a light on one company. We always do it on every episode. Uh, we're going to share a little bit about our community and one of the startups in our community. So today, 
That company is dun, 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 Symbia Games, which is a a uh, it's basically an ecosystem that aims to simplify game developers' uh, lives through automation, live preview, and publishing capabilities, and peer-to-peer real-time collaboration. If you're into gaming and you want to learn more about this or building games, learn more over at Synvia.com. It's not with an S, it's with a C. So it's C-I-N-E-V-V-A.com. C-I-N-E-V-V-A.com to go learn more. Check it out. All right, now we're going to talk to Mike Evans. Been looking forward to it. Hi, Mike. Thanks so much for joining us on this 100th episode of the Start For Your Podcast. I'm super thrilled to have you today. Uh, you know, having a, a hometown Chicago entrepreneur here of your pedigree is is obviously super exciting, but also having it on this, money, you know, this, this 100th episode makes it even better. So thanks for joining today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. All right. So excited to have you here. You have obviously, people may not probably know you from Grubhub and being the, the co-founder of Grubhub and running that for years from Bootstrap to IPO. But you've also got, uh, you're also the founder of a new company, Fixer.com. And uh, can you just kind of jump in and give us kind of, for those that are not familiar, the, the quick version of Grubhub, maybe they haven't ordered food ever. I don't know who hasn't, but maybe they haven't. And then kind of dive into a little bit more about Fixer, and then we'll jump into the book that just came out. Yeah, Grubhub was, uh, at, at in its initial incarnation, was a delivery guide where you could find the menus, restaurants, uh, and then eventually became an online ordering platform. Uh, and it got big, got real big, got up to about 80,000 restaurants by the time of the IPO. Uh, and really, uh, what we did is we got new business for restaurants. That was our that was our function. Um, I left that company in 2014 at like 28 days after the IPO. rode my rode off into the sunset. Literally rode a bicycle from Virginia to Oregon, and then in, uh, spent a few years at home uh, before starting my next company, Fixer.com. Fixer is an on-demand handy person company where the people who do the work are full-time employees with benefits. We train them from scratch. And so we are trying to increase the supply and uh, diversity, uh, the skill and diversity of code work of, uh, sorry, the skill and diversity of trades workers in the communities we serve. Uh, And by doing that, it allows us to create a great experience for people in their home. Uh, And so I launched that business with this idea in mind that I wanted to create a social impact in addition to creating uh, profit and the social impact is that there just aren't enough skilled trades people in our communities anymore because most of the trade schools have closed. And the people who do get into the trades, it's very gender exclusive. If you don't have an uncle to teach you, then you can't learn. And so we wanted to create open up, open wide, break open wide the uh, entry path into the trades. Very cool. And so true. Like there's, you know, trying to get a plumber or somebody to do any kind of work. Um, and it's, you know, there's a lot of apps that are trying to help point you in the right direction. But I love the that the approach you're taking. I think, last I think I talked to you, you were actually literally bringing these folks on, uh, and you're even a B Corp, right? And so it's yeah, like yeah. trying to basically. It's a really great story, and and obviously love to watch that continue to grow. Um, yeah, if so, you if you have a business model, which is what a lot of the ones currently exist, that's hey, we're going to connect you to a skilled contractor in your right. hometown, and there right. are not enough skilled contractors in your hometown. Yeah. Being the connector is not a helpful thing to be. No. And so our idea is just to to create more to make more people available that can actually right. do the work and you actually train them which is awesome and yeah. so um creating and obviously there's just a lack of it so i, I love that and have you you're focused on chicago last we talked are you still just on focus on chicago or are you looking at other markets too uh we are in chicago 
Seattle, Dallas, Denver, and Phoenix. And we are launching two more markets in the next few weeks, but wow. not sure exactly which ones yet. Great. Congrats. That's awesome. Yeah. Definitely growing in, in different places. That's great. Oh to my hear. gosh. It's growing like a weed. It's so, <laughs> it's growing so fast. And it's, it's like one of those, like it took us six years to get to this point and get the model worked out. You know, we weren't educators when we started. So when I'm like, Hey, we're going to open a trade school. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like it, with the typical arrogance of a startup, bro, like, mm -hmm. okay, well, I guess I got to learn how to educate people. Is that a thing people do? Yes. It turns out that millions of people are educators <laughs> and they know a lot more about it than I do. So, yeah. um, yeah, once we finally got all that wrapped up in the curriculum and the training program and the, mm -hmm. the on-the-job apprenticeship and all of that stuff and and how to create, create a good consumer experience in the home and and then also survive COVID. Once all that was done, we now are finally like really exploding in terms of our size and, and our geographies. That's a lot of hurdles. And it reminds me a little bit of the Grubhub story because you guys did kind of turn it out on your own, not being part of that industry for a while. I mean, to build up what you, what you eventually turned into um a monster so i think uh sounds very similar journey wise um so yeah let's, this uh, this time around is a little harder it was yeah. hard the first time it was harder this time but i also had more resources and i had done right. it once before and so right. i i ended up work I ended up working just as hard mm. but uh i actually like the idea of picking really difficult tricky operationally intensive business models because mm. it's easier to build a differentiated business in a harder space oh. and so um it's that's easy to say now with five years of work in a, in a <laughs> than it yeah. was like on day one when I was like, oh my gosh, this is a lot. Yeah. A lot of people would have given up. So I'll give you a major, I mean, cause that's, you know, if it's not easy, you know, a lot of people kind of give up when it's not easy. And it sounds like you've really, you tackle the things that are hard, but I want to switch gears and, and talk about the book Hangry. And uh, it's a, you know, a startup journey from you and, and your time with Grubhub and, and now Fixer. Um, love the book. Um, just finished it literally a little, bit, a little bit before this this call I like it too <laughs> um and you know i just like that it's so um a matter of fact you know like it just it brings you along the journey but it also gives you kind of the behind the scenes and, and, and it's so a matter of fact and in in part of that is um so first, first off congrats it's it's a that's a big, big feat in itself um to write the book and get it out there and now distribute it everywhere and hopefully soon it'll be a bestseller and everyone will read your, your story um but the interesting thing is that you wrote it while, you know, after you've kind of exited uh, Grubhub and while journeying across the country on your like, you know, almost like eat, pray, love journey of uh, of your own of like finding wow. yourself again. I mean, it's it, right. It really was your eat, pray, love story of like getting across the country on your bike, 4,400 miles. Uh, yeah, 4,400 miles, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and more or less... Uh, looking for yourself the self that you used to be um when you say this is your own words not mine i've never thought this but when you used to be not an asshole which is yeah. kind of funny that you're like your your own uh you know explanation if you were to yourself. take a, if you were to take a graph my assholeness over time right <laughs> it started at like a moderate level mm -hmm. and then you know through the course of grubhub that that curve goes up into the right and it got pretty intense yeah. Uh, and then the bike trip was the start of it coming back down again, uh, back to moderate. I didn't come back all the way to not an asshole, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, that was part of, that was part of the whole journey of like mm -hmm. what I was trying to accomplish at the company. And, and without like, I, I had to do some healing after some of the, some of the challenges I faced there. 
There are a lot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you talk about a lot of them, right? You're grinding it out for 10 years. Your marriage took a hit. Your life took a hit. You're probably, I would assume your, your health took a hit. You know, that's a lot of stress. Yeah. It's, um, I think you probably have heard you, what I'm about to say probably resonates with what, with your experience talking to startups, you know, the, there's like a sanitized version of the startup story. Yep. Absolutely. That's just totally false. And that, that version is you go to Stanford, you get an MBA. There's this friends and family money that shows up from somewhere. I don't know who these friends and family are, but like apparently people give you lots of money. And then yeah. and then that works beautifully. So then VCs give you even more money and then you're a billionaire. And right. like, it does not work that way. Like it might work that way for a few people. Mm-hmm. And it actually makes it even more infuriating because because the it's a lot. It, that's not the way it really goes. Like when you're innovating, when you're creating a startup, you're trying to say like ultimately you're saying there's this thing that's done wrong, and I'm going to fix it. I'm going to be the one who makes it better. And you, it's it's hard to know. It's impossible to know when you start what things are going to work and what things aren't. It's it's experimental in its nature. And so a lot of the book talks about this sort of paradox of like grit. Or quit like this idea of do you double down and do the hard work on this thing or are you honest with yourself and saying it's not working so i'm going to stop doing it and try something else it's really hard to know which one of those two things you do and so i explore that a lot in the book with ideas that work and ideas that don't mm-hmm. and it's not emotionally neutral to like try something really hard and then quit it like there's a lot there's a lot of damage that happens there yeah. and so um, i try to explore a lot of those ideas in in the book I love it. I love it. And I assume that's why you wrote the book too, is to kind of get that story out there. But you tell me, why did you write, why did you write the book? So I wrote the book, uh, because, um, really for a few reasons, like, but, but the main reason is, um, you know, startups, startups, especially, but like businesses everywhere, but startups, especially when they become successful, they are a huge lever for social change, whether you want them to be or not. And if you're not thinking about that early, then that change is implicit and undirected. Like we we change the environments in which we work. We're like sort of like Schrodinger's cat. Like you know, like by by existing, we change things. Uh, and, and you know, and and we're we're not neutral to the environments we we work in. And so, if I can convince ten people to be intentional about not just the shareholder value they're creating, but the the community value, the community changes they're creating or the stakeholder value they could create. And just being thoughtful and intentional about that as early as possible, even though it's hard, um, then the book's a success. That's what I was trying to do. So that's sort of the primary reason. The other reason is I just love hearing people's reactions from it because ultimately when you create something, uh, that's only half of the story. The other half is how people receive it. And I'm super interested in like, people get things, have been getting things out of this book. I'm like, did I write that? I don't think, I, but hey, that's great. Like, tell me more. And uh, that's really fun. It's really fun to go through that experience. Where they're gathering more out of it than what you first anticipated is what you're saying. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so in the book, you you basically, I love that you you share kind of those behind the scenes stories. And even like, I didn't know something. I knew you were a developer. I didn't realize you were literally coding the earliest, you know, versions of, of Grubhub. And all the way for for a while, like you were you were actually building it, you know, bootstrapping for a long time. And I love this, to hear the stories, but also that you, the story of you and Matt, um, who ultimately you you teamed up, you know, talking about how you guys are always kind of were at each other, but it, it actually made you stronger. Um, 
a lot of people don't share that, right? That's kind of the dirty laundry a little bit. And I think that's what I thought was really interesting is like, you're, you're, you're literally very a matter of fact about, um, how things went and, 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 and obviously, I don't know if that's good or bad. Hopefully you're in matter. Okay. You know, but yeah, the end there's, of the day. there's a story and it's a story of, of two founders who built this big business and they never fought and everything was happy. And that story is just false, right? Yeah, like there's, yeah. you're, you're doing stuff that matters. And so there's tension in it because mm -hmm. we're all human. Right. Yeah. And I can say with all certainty that if Matt wasn't involved in the company, we would not have IPO the company. And I can also say if I wasn't involved in the company, it would have never actually started, right? So right. um, so the compromises that we came to and the compliments that we did to each, that we had with each other, um, it, it worked. It worked, but it wasn't without tension. And uh, and so I, like, I think that'll be helpful for people who are like, oh, hey, like, what does a good partnership look like? Right. It doesn't look perfect. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that that was, I, I did share all of those things, the warts and all. Mm -hmm. um, and, but ultimately it's, it's not the story of, it's not the story of how to create a startup. It's, it's not the story of Grubhub. It's the story of like, what it's like to personally, like for me, what is it like for a person to go through the reality of creating something from nothing? And so a lot of the, a lot of the story focuses on me. And I, I don't mean that to take away from Matt's contributions. It's no. just that that was the nar the narrative choice I was making. No, it's your uh, perspective. It makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You don't know yeah. what he's thinking. <laughs> so that totally makes sense. Um, all right. So let's, let's dive a little bit deeper here. So, um, you know, part of the reason it's called hangry is because you were outraged by the certain components of what was happening with, with Grubhub. Um, could you, you know, I would imagine that, that, that puts some people like in an uncomfortable position. And so I wanted to get your take on that. Like, were you nervous about talking about this publicly? Yeah, I was nervous about it. Um, nobody's asked me that question, actually. Uh, <laughs> so I appreciate that. Yeah, I was certainly I was nervous about it. it was, Grubhub was my baby. And even though my baby's grown up and in some ways, like, uh, yeah. I, I literally say in the book, I, I asked the question, did I create a Frankenstein? Mm -hmm. And I don't ask that out of a place of sour grapes. Mm -hmm. I ask that out of a place of, I have a high bar of expectation for how companies should act in the environments that they live in and, and that they work in. And Grubhub, along with Uber Eats and DoorDash and all the other all the other companies, um, they have an obligation to do right by restaurants uh, because that's their customers. They're the ones who who ultimately they rely on, and they're the ones that they're creating products to help. And uh, and so um, I I'm I'm frank in the in the book about places where the company's fallen short of that, not out of a place of sour grapes, like I said, but out of a, a desire a desire to see that. That company or other companies do better um and you can do that and make a profit and part of my point is when you do right by your customers um you create the competitive differentiation and when you do that um you don't have to just keep buying customers to keep them around like you don't have to keep paying on google paying for google they stay around because your company is valuable to them right. and so i think it's a recipe for success just as much as it is a in some ways a critique of some of the things they've done that's a lot more diplomatic than the way I put it in the book. I'm just pissed off about it in the book. Uh, and yes. I, and I do get frustrated. I get frustrated when I hear stories about high take rates and um, not listening to restaurant partners because right. I care, not because I'm bitter about it. Yeah. I mean, in the purpose of why you started to begin with, it kind of started to, to change a little bit. And I, I could see that being something you didn't want to like leave behind, right? Like this is near and dear. Like you said, it's your baby. You want to direct it in the right direction and the direction that you can align with. And I think that's part of why you're doing that. So that totally makes sense to me. Um, why? So 
but then eventually you get to a point where you just you've had it you've been doing this for over a decade and you're just like i can't do this anymore um that's a hard decision in itself right because you've yeah. been or maybe it wasn't i don't know after all the yeah, things let's you've talk been about through, that yeah i don't know was it hard <laughs> like uh let's talk about the nature of the decision because um yeah. you know, it has to do with the, with how a person defines success and one of the big points in the book is that you need a personal definition of success like everybody will spoon feed you one right right yeah. Your, your parents, your kids, government, churches, everybody, any everybody and everyone will try to define success for you. Mm-hmm. And this has happened to me personally. A lot of people have said to me like, oh, you were successful because you had an IPO or you successful because you made mm-hmm. some money at the IPO. I wasn't successful for those reasons. I was successful because I created a company that helped 80,000 independent restaurants um, thrive. And and that was what I was trying to accomplish. And and I did accomplish that. And so, accomplish that. And so I, and so I I perceive myself as successful because of that. Mm-hmm. And my definition of success is closely related to my goals. And, and as the company went through the transition of being public, it became very clear to me that the, the primary goal of helping independent restaurants thrive versus sort of the pressures of big chains um, wasn't going to be something that the company prioritized. And so since my goals and the company's goals departed, I decided to leave. I didn't do it because I was burnt out. I didn't do it because I was tired. I didn't do it because I didn't think I have anything else to contribute. I did it because I want my effort, my energy, my work to be going towards my definition of success. And that has to, in in business for me, that means it has to have a a positive social impact. And so, um, and so that's why I left, but I, but I, but in fact, I was tired also. (laughs) That's not why I left, but in fact, I was. And so like all tired people do, I went on a 4,500 mile bike ride. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, But no, I think that does matter, right? Like the, there's an amount of like you're going up against resistance at a certain point and you're doing it for that long. I think at a certain point, you're just like, I just don't want to, I don't want to fight anymore. You know, right. Is, is what it kind of sounds like. And cause you knew you were going to be going to literally an uphill battle against, you know, in this case, probably shareholder greed, you know, yeah. is, is really what it's about. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's nuanced, but it's not yeah. quite what you just said about, I don't want to fight anymore. It's, right. it's different. It's a much more, clinical and objective view where you say, where I say, or I encourage people to say, is this fight going to, is it likely to work? Is it likely to bring me closer to my goals or the company closer to what I want that what company you want to, to like? do? Right. And that if it sense. looks unlikely to occur, mm-hmm. it's a good time to quit, right? Go do, go put your energy towards something where it is likely to occur. Right. And it, it's not a matter of not having the fight of me because clearly yeah. I'm, still fe- I'm still feisty. Uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't lose that on the bike trip. No. Uh, and so um, I, it's an important distinction because entrepreneurs need to be good at quitting things. And that that includes knowing the right reasons to quit things mm-hmm. as opposed to just giving up because you're too tired. Yeah. Let's talk about that. What's the difference between quitting and giving up? You talk about that in the book. Yeah. Uh, at, at its simplest form, giving up is what happens at the end of a long day and quitting what ha- is what happens in the morning when you're fresh, right? Like quitting is a decision and giving up is exhaustion. Right. Uh, like at its, at its core, that's what I'm trying to say. And that um, it's always better to quit something because you've decided you want to go work sort towards something else. You're not just leaving right. a thing. You're, you're headed towards something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, t- you, you just, I, I name it that because I want to take the stigma out of this idea of, of quitting in the sense that beating your head against the wall for something that's not in line with your goals or your values, or is not the direction you want your life to go simply because you've been doing it. Like that's, that's just glorifying hustle. That's not useful to anyone. 
Right. And so I, I talk about like, you do have to work hard. You do have to blast through obstacles. You do have to like have a lot of grit and a lot of tenacity. Um, but at some point you also have to say, this ain't working. I'm doing something else. And that that's what happened to Grubhub. I left that and I started another company that was more in line with what I wanted to accomplish. That makes sense. Um, so you talk about uh, a number of people in the book, one of which that keeps popping up is, um, it sounds like might be a mentor, Chuck Templeton uh, from yeah. OpenTable. Would you consider him a mentor? Yeah, uh, yeah. He he, uh, he was a mentor, and now we're just friends. He's not right, really a no, mentor yeah. anymore. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, I learned a ton from him. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, having... I, I learned... He didn't say it in so many words, but I learned how to have empathy for coworkers. And mm -hmm. even just the way I said that, I didn't say employees, mm -hmm. right? I talk about my coworkers and my colleagues. Um, there was other things that he did, like with customers, when a customer call came in with an issue, we didn't deal with the customer. We worked with the customer. And so like, I learned this language of empathy and connection and how to make appropriate apologizes and fix apologize, apologies and fix the problems that caused the issue in the first place. I learned a lot of that from Chuck. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I got 20, 15 years to like practice it. And so now I'm, I think I'm pretty good at those things now, right, right. Uh, but I learned a lot of a lot of it from him. And if I can pass those lessons along and he learned them from other people as well, right? Like he, right. he had his mentors. He talks about, um, oh, he's, uh, he's one of the, the heads of lettuce entertaining restaurants. It's his father-in-law who, who mentored him. Oh gosh, okay. I can't remember his name right now, but like, there's a chain of these, of these people. And it's my hope that in, in, in a mass and scalable way, the book does that for some other people mm -hmm. and they can learn a thing or two about, um, about how to like lead with empathy. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. And I guess for you, you've, you are there other mentors you had, and how how do you find a good mentor? I mean, I guess nope, that's just the one. I never learned anything from. That. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, Chuck. That was it. <laughs> Me and Chuck. <laughs> this is going to sound trite, especially since I just wrote a book. But I learned a lot from books. Um, yeah. I you know the selling for dummies book that I talk about in my book. Like I learned a lot about how to do sales there I, and putting reps in, like mm -hmm. practicing it. I learned a lot about. The, the, there's a book with, I hate the name of it, but the seven habits of highly effective people. Yeah. It's so good. Right. Yeah. Like that book talks about, um, you know, the difference between importance and urgency. And, yep. uh, after I had bootstrapped for like six years or seven years, I read Eric Reese's lean startup circle. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I was like, Oh, that's what I just did. Like, this is great. <laughs> right. Uh, yep. and so, and then good to great by Jim Collins. And so some of the, I consider some of those folks, my mentors, even though, Right. Um, I never met them. Like, I feel like I met their ideas. Mm -hmm. um, they spoke but then you. I had other people that were in my life too, that, that especially at a young age, 12, 13, 14, that were really impactful in terms of mentorship. Yeah. So mm -hmm. like, it's been, a, it's been a theme my whole life. Definitely. Interesting. Um, did you uh, experience, I guess, imposter syndrome ever when you, where you, um, yeah. Did you ever experience imposter syndrome? You're like, wow, how, I'm so successful. Do, do I feel like I it's, should be? It's funny you say that in the past tense. Yeah. Uh, I am still experiencing imposter syndrome. Oh, you are? Okay. I have, yeah. I have all along. Yeah. Um, and I think that part of the reason why I sort of like talk about intentionality and goal setting and, and success so much is because it's my like, it's my bastion. It's my wall against imposter syndrome, which is sort of at the gates, right? Like it's always threatening. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and I think of it like, 
you know what? I don't have to listen to that voice in my head if I've defined what success is for myself. And if I know that on a day-to-day basis, I'm working towards it, then that voice doesn't have a lot of power. Um, And it's not just imposter syndrome. It's just sort of self-doubt naturally. Mm -hmm. The people I know who have no self-doubt and no imposter syndrome are total narcissists. And and I think it's actually a, a, a good thing to have it recognize it and work through it mm-hmm. as opposed to just denying that it exists. Right. That makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so when you first started uh, Grubhub, it was, everything was new, right? You were, you're a new entrepreneur. You, this is your, I think this is your first company, right? So um, where's the most- Actually, oh, I had a oh. lawn mowing business in oh, okay. uh, when I was in high school okay. uh, and I learned a lot about customer satisfaction and oh. also bees. Uh, yeah. During that time, stay stay away from bees. Yes, stay definitely. away from the bees. Yes. yes. Um, so I guess with that and the and Grubhub and now even into Fixer, what um what are the most important things you learned aside from the bees thing? Because that's obvious. You don't want to don't don't mess with the bees. Yeah, don't mess with the bees. Um, unless you're a beekeeper, I guess that's that's a hard rule if that's your business. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I've learned a lot. You know, I tried to put some of the lessons in the book. You know, obviously yeah. the stuff about intentionality and the importance of experimentation and, and quitting things that don't work, you know, on a, on a personal level, one thing that comes up again and again is, um, there's, there's a culture within startups where they say, where people say like, you know, if, if you think that you need to let somebody go from your company, you're already too late. You should have done it two months ago. There's sort of this like cavalier and callous attitude towards firing people mm-hmm. that's fairly prevalent in startup culture. Yeah. And I think it's total bullshit. I don't think you can be a good leader without mm-hmm. also having the pain involved of, fi- of firing people. And even saying that is ridiculous because I'm sure the people that I've had to let go are like, oh, that's easy for you to say. You still did it to me. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it should be hard. It should be very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing that I that I say often to new entrepreneurs. I guess another thing that I say to new entrepreneurs is um, you're, you're not charging enough. <laughs> um, I don't even have to know what you're charging. I just know it's true. Entrepreneurs never charge enough for their product initially. Um, because they're scared people won't buy it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's like, you can't make pricing decisions out of fear, right? right. Like you have to, you have to, you have to be bold. Um, there's a few things like that, but, uh, but for the rest of me, like, you're just gonna have to buy the book. It's full, right. chock full. Well, I've got <laughs> one that I outlined. Uh, so great. Your, Mike's, Mike's rules for hard things. What yeah. are they? And, yeah. So <laughs> number one, I, there's five of them. Number one, yeah. hard things are hard. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds silly. But it's it's true. Uh, they're hard and sometimes they're great, but it doesn't make them less hard. Mm-hmm. Um, they have consequences. Uh, often hard things require a lot of effort and prioritization, and that means something else has got to give. And sometimes that thing might be relationships or health or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also have big rewards. This rule number three is hard things have big rewards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and number four, which I sort of hinted at the other just earlier, is um, don't give up hard things at the end of a long day. Wait until morning take a sleep on um, it and then, and then, and then figure it out the next day. Yeah. And this really came out of the bike trip more than it was yeah. the business that like, yeah. when you're hurting and tired and sweaty, it's really easy to be like, frick yeah. this I'm done. Yeah. Right. You, you sleep for a night, you wake up in the morning, like I can do one more day. And that's all you have to do. You don't yeah. have to finish the trip. I didn't take a 4,500 mile bike ride. I took 90, 50 mile bike rides. Right. One day and at a time. Right. <laughs> one day at a time. Right. Yep. Um, and then this is sort of like the big exclamation point of the book is that Hard things become easier when you have a vision. Um, if you know where you're headed, it's a lot easier to do the day-to-day grind. Um, and if you don't, it's, I don't know how people do it. You cannot, it, 
it's too much of a marathon to just muscle through. You've got to like, you've got to know where you're going and you have to pace yourself. Right. No, that makes sense. Um, all right. So you talked a lot about, um, you know, in the book and just in general, you just a minute ago, you've talked a lot about um, intentionality and being, you know, some of that is, is so that you're feeling fulfilled at work. Um, is there any other ways that you can kind of share that, like how, how you find that fulfillment at work? If it's, if you're not like enjoying what you're doing or whatever. Yeah. I, so you mentioned you have a seven-year-old daughter. I also have a seven-year-old daughter. Yep. When she goes to school, work and play and learning, they're all the same thing. There's no distinction between those things for a kid. I argue that it's the same for adults and we just forgotten that. Yeah. And um, I, I, I find work very satisfying and very fun mm -hmm. in the cases where what I'm doing is aligned with my goals and, uh, and my values. Now, is every meeting fun? No, like I'm not <laughs> trying to argue that. Right. But like, but most of them I'm, I'm working with people I respect and I like spending time with. Um, I'm trying to create things that make the world a better place. Like, um, I, I think it's a huge part of it. I think human beings are wired to work and to find satisfaction from our work. And that can only happen when it's aligned with your values. And, um, and I, I kind of think it's, it's a bit of, it's selling ourselves short when we just go into work for a paycheck. Um, cer like certainly so sometimes you just have to do that. You have other responsibilities, you have other requirements on you and you need to just pay the bills and sometimes, but like, those are the worst kind of jobs. Um, and so if you have the privilege and the ability to choose your work, then, then it can be very satisfying and very fun. And so, um, I, I mean, I think, I think intentionality, there's a short line between being intentional about where you work and what you do and just having a good day. Like yeah. there's. Those two things are pretty close to each other. Absolutely. And then how have you been able to like align those values, you know, vision of your company, like with Fixer, for example, like, you know, from like an, with an individual or, you know, a collective of, of people, how, how do you kind of work to make that part of your culture? Yeah. Um, I sort of have a formula for this that I generally use, which is don't, don't create the mission statement values in the first day of the company. Wait till you're about a year in, mm -hmm. maybe 18 months in, and there's like 20 of you. And then get together as a group and define what your core values are and define what your mission is as a group. So it's not just one person. It's not, you know, it's not a cult of personality. It's not just one person deciding things by fiat, but it's the thing we decided as a group we care about. Mm -hmm. uh, it's much more powerful that way. It also brings to light and really makes clear the distinction between the company's goals and my goals. And those two things are not the same thing. They should be related and I should understand how they're related and how they influence each other. But it's important that I hold them separate in my own mind. Um, and so that's a part of it. And so at Fixer, we did that. We 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 got together, we, we met on the core values. We decided our mission statement, which is we fix things, we build people. Mm -hmm. um, but then it's also encoded like, so that's like the, that's like the socialization, like the 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 federating the thing socially among the, the people in the business. But there's also like a whole legal side to it where we're a public benefit corporation. We literally have a, our articles of incorporation state that it's as important to us as a company. Not as a, it's, the company exists for two reasons, to create shareholder value and to increase the skill and diversity of, the, of tradespeople in the communities we serve. And those two things are of equal importance which is a really weird corporate structure to be able to sacrifice shareholder value for a social benefit. Right. Um, but that's literally what a public benefit corporation is. 
And so it's not just what we feel about it and think about it, but it's encoded in the DNA of the company itself. We do everything from hiring with it. Um, our fixers get bonuses at the end of the year based on whether or not core values show up in the reviews that customers write about us. Um, oh, wow. That's cool. Wow, that's and we encourage idea. them to game the system. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. yes, if you can get your customers to say you're honest, that's all good, right? Uh, and um, because it's really hard to do that while being dishonest, right? Right, so, yeah. Uh, right, exactly. And so um, we use it for bonuses. Um, you know, we 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 spend tens of thousands of dollars of bonuses based on the core values of the company. Um, we have it in hiring. It's at the beginning of every meeting. And so it's it's obviously, it's an important part of what we do. And part of the reason is, I'm not going to be at Fixer forever. And when I leave, I want the continue, company to continue on a trajectory of making the world a better place mm -hmm. uh, while we make a crazy large amount of profit, right? Like this is not a nonprofit business, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's like, it, it's a lot of what we do. No, that makes sense. Really cool. I love that you're able to do that. And it sounds like some of those things were pulled from your experiences with Grubhub and what things maybe didn't go the way you, you wanted them to. So now you're you're doing it the way you want it to in this new company. Yeah, at Grubhub, it worked. Like yeah. we did level the playing field for independent restaurants and we mm -hmm. were really beneficial. And the company still is really beneficial for restaurants, mm -hmm. which is not to say that I can't do better. And and I certainly, in the book, you can see my frustration as those two things diverge. Right. Um, Grubhub is not an oil company. <laughs> they're no, still no, no. doing good, yeah. right? No, right. Uh, and in fact, they're doing better than they get credit for in the press, but that's partly because for whatever reason, the company's not great. Um, but like it, it, they just don't speak to these issues. They don't engage, right? They sort of, they sort of stick their head in the ground sometimes. But, um, I think that the company is a force for good and, but could be better. Um, right. yeah. I mean, your biggest, uh, your, your biggest kind of thing that kind of irked you was more or less the change to, um, you know, get as much out of some of the, uh, I guess, pricing, pricing model basically is what kind of got you. Right. And that's yeah, restaurants. Yeah. Uh, restaurants can thrive at a 15% uh, take rate. Right. Um, they can get tons more business and do really well. They can't when the number is much higher. Right. And um, unfortunately, as the top three players in the space have become less dif dis differentiated, more and more of their profits have to just go to advertising to convince people to come join instead of to loyalty, right? Instead of having loyalty of their customers. And so... Um, you know, the price of differentiation actually ends up being on the backs of either the drivers or the restaurants. Uh, and so I, my hope is that one of those three companies really differentiates and then it creates more value for those two stakeholders. Right. That makes sense. Um, and so my true gear... hope is that Grubhub is the one that wins. I still want that one to win. I still right. want that company to win. Absolutely. Which, yeah. I get it. Until, you know, forever. And I get, I get it. It's your baby. I, I guess what what you're sharing in the book and what we're talking about isn't that you are a dislike for the company. It's just that maybe some of the things that, that happened weren't in alignment with your, your personal, um, I guess you could say values and goals. So yeah. that's, that's, that's more or less what happened. And that happens, right. As you grow, I mean, you've built a, a monster. Um, okay. So let's switch gears. You also learned some things, I think from rejection, you had to go out and sell, like you had, to, like you were selling, you and Matt were selling those first, first, um, businesses on on using Grubhub and I'd love to get any lessons or mistakes or things you learned on selling because that's not wasn't your background to begin with and so you obviously had to pick it up as you go and you know and obviously got really good at it I got okay at it I never got really <laughs> good at it uh that's sales was not my jam um I 
So I, I, I talk about this in the book. I went and got a selling for dummies book and you know, the, the sort of, if I were to give like a quick one minute introduction to sales, I would say a sales conversation is consists of three parts. You ask the customer what their needs are, you share what you, how you can solve those problems. And then you ask for the money and you have to do So at listen, share close. Right. And you have to do them in that order. If you mix up the order, you lose the customer. You can't try and ask for the money before they can, are convinced that you have, can bring them value. And you can't you can't convince them that you can bring them value until you actually know what their needs are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like that was sort of the first part of it. But there is a big part of it that's rejection. I got thrown out of a lot of restaurants and I was terrified because I quit my job. And for the first three weeks, I couldn't sell any restaurants. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think one thing to recognize about rejection is um, that it hurts like like a lot of sales books will try and get you revved up to this idea of like, just shake it off. Like, just get like, but I think actually it's better to say like rejection sucks. Stew in it for a moment, Mm -hmm. like feel it, put it in a box and move on. Because if you don't like, if you're just trying to deny that it, it, it really sucks. I think that that, um, that's not healthy. And I say this in a kind of a cavalier way. I I mean, in in the current, you know, in, in November of 2022 or October of 2022, the, the macroeconomic environment is terrible for startups to raise venture yeah. capital. Yep. And yep. Uh, I've created a multi-billion dollar business and I'm, I've been getting the door slammed in my face. Like, and I'm like, this hasn't happened before. Like since the IPO, like it's easy for me to talk to VCs, but suddenly right. it's gotten very hard mm-hmm. and, uh, and it hurts. It still hurts after 20 yeah. years of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, my solution to that is I create a process. I don't, I don't, I'm going to call 10 VCs tomorrow, or if I was calling restaurants, I'd call 50 restaurants tomorrow, regardless of the number of successes I had today, it, or yesterday, or the number of failures I had yesterday. The amount of activity that I do is not dependent on my success level. It's set, it's disciplined, I do it every day. And then it sort of takes a little bit of the sting out of the rejection because like, it's just another day, not all of it. Um, but that's been like sort of my way to handle it, uh, handle sort of sales rejection. I love that. And you are 100% right. There's been kind of a slowdown on investment in general. I mean, I was just, you know, all the startups we work with, they're all raising. No one's getting, I mean, there's a few companies getting checks, but not that many. And um, I think hopefully this 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 kind of switches gears at some point here soon. But yeah, I mean, that's a great point of how that rejection, I, I even saw somebody reach out recently saying, hey, you know, I just got rejected. I thought this was going to happen. What do I do? And it's like, well, my suggestion was shake it off, go to take, go to sleep, you know, because it was nighttime. I was like, go to sleep, wake up tomorrow, and 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 start yeah. again, because you've got more, more. There's more people to 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 talk to, and especially in venture, it can be a million different reasons. It's not necessarily because yeah. of you and your your thing is right. So I think that's important too. And obviously, from a store perspective, when you're selling these restaurants, it's not you guys. It was maybe they they were really excited about the way they were doing things, and it was working. You know, it doesn't necessarily yeah. mean you were you were doing something bad. Um, so. Well, I will say this, if if you are getting, it is worth looking at what you're saying, what you're doing, right. what you're pitching yeah. and seeing it's worth at least reviewing whether or not you oh, yeah, yeah. might be me. Right. Uh, it might not actually be them. You may actually be just bad at sales. And so it, Could be. you do have to have, a, it, it's weird. It's a paradox because you have mm-hmm. to have enough arrogance to say, nope, this mm-hmm. is valuable. I'm going to keep selling and enough humility to be like, okay, what do I need to change? Right. Which one of those things do you do in a given moment? I don't know. That's the hard part of startups. Mm-hmm. No, that's right. Yeah, you got to kind of read, figure that out. Um, and it sounds like, I mean, over time you do because, you know, it's a little bit of trial and error there. Um, what's, uh, 
I guess you kind of already gave some advice, but, um, you know, what are, I guess, the best lessons learned for you with this entire journey? Like, number one lesson, if you could say, walk away and say, I just want to make sure anybody who sees me knows this lesson for this book. Start. Whatever it is that you want to do. If you're, if you want to start a company, start it. Don't overthink it. Don't do market research. Don't hire a lawyer to figure out how to do a business. Like just sell a product to a customer, which of course means you had to make a product, mm -hmm. but um, just start. I, everything, there's a tremendous amount of things you can learn about startups. You can learn about financing. You can learn about sales. You can learn about marketing. You can learn about um, scaling. You can learn about operations. You can learn about HR and policy and all of these things. All of that is 49% of success. 51% of success is starting. You literally just need to go do it. And uh, that's my one piece of advice. The best way to start is to start. I love that. I love that. And that made me think of one more thing. Um, and it's not really just starting. It's just related to the feeling, right? Like you did start. You brought something for, to life. You bootstrapped really hard for a long time. You got funding and that you signed ter terms that necessarily weren't good for you all, but you did it because it was the right move at the time and built it into something really big, multi-billion dollar company, right? That doesn't happen to everyone. doesn't happen every day. Yeah, everyone um, should do it. It's fun. Well, everyone should do it, but <laughs> it doesn't happen to everyone to, to yeah, do that, I know. Right? I'm, I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> so either, either way, I want to know from your perspective, what was that like to feel like at the end of the day, when you're out and you're IPOing, have you ever had a second where you're just like, holy shit, we did it. Like, oh my God. Like, what does that feel like? Like, what is the feeling that you got? Like, is it, was it joy? Was it like, you know, exhaustion? Was it just like relief? Like, what does that feel like from, from your perspective? Cause not too many um, people are in that boat that, that could say that. Yeah. It's, um, it's no, it's, it's no one simple thing. It's like all the feels at once. It was exciting. It was, I, I felt a ton of excitement. I felt joy, like ex euphoric joy at like, I did it. Like we did it. Um, I felt relief. Like there was, there's, there's fear in the, in the entrepreneurial journey. You're afraid right. a competitor is going to come and crush your business. You're afraid that you're going to run out of money. You're afraid that you're going to mess it up. Mm -hmm. And so like getting to the point where I could leave on a high note, like was a tremendous amount of relief. Um, there was grief. Like when you work on something for 12 years and then suddenly you're not, and like you pick up your phone to check your email and you're like, oh, I don't have that account anymore. Like there's grief there. Um, and, and, you know, there's there's satisfaction, the, the financial benefits, there's satisfaction being able to help my family. It's, it's nice to be able to like buy, like buy nice things, like go on a vacation and like not worry about the cost. Like, you know, it's it's all of those things. Um, and then there was even a bit of longing. There's like, gosh, I want to get back to that golden age again and uh, and do that again, which is why I started another thing. I like... It's a, it's a powerful drug. Like I wanted more of it. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's all those things. You feel all of those things. Right. That's great. And I, that's what I was looking for. I really appreciate you sharing that. And I think our, our listeners will obviously find it helpful. Um, Mike, thank you so much for joining and, and sharing your stories. Where can people find a copy of the book if they want to? Yeah. Uh, Audible is probably the, if you're listening to this, uh, yeah. uh, through your headphones, then yep. you'll get it on Audible. Um, I love, that you, I love you read your own book. I mean, you yeah, like, I read, read it and that's not easy to do. That's actually really hard. So. It was a blast. It was really fun because there's, there's some like big emotional moments in the book and it was fun to just like nail them. Like, just like really like say them out loud. Yeah. Uh, or you can see my, just, you can find more information at mikeevans.com. 
mikeevans.com. There it is. Thanks so much, Mike. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot. It was great to be on. Thanks, Frank. Well, I always love catching up with Mike Evans and hearing his stories about everything that it takes to start up a company and take it to IPO. As I mentioned, you know, he was part of some of our earliest events, so it's been great to see, you know, the progression and, and obviously watch it from the outside. And now we can read it, read about it from the inside. If you listen to this podcast or read his book, Hangry, um, you can go over to mikeevans.com or wherever books are sold to find more out about that book. Uh, it should it should be pretty interesting for you. There's a lot of stories he didn't include in the book or say include in the book, but didn't talk about in the podcast today that you'll probably find uh, interesting, funny, uh, eye-opening, all of the above. So check it out if you get a chance. Uh, I really enjoy the book and I and, uh, hope you do too. And speaking of enjoying, if you enjoyed this conversation with Mike, please do share it uh, with somebody you think might find it helpful. We're all about sharing and we want to, as I mentioned earlier, continue to grow this podcast an audience and, and get to as many people as possible. And that's one way of doing it. So please do share this podcast with anybody you think might find it helpful that is starting a company or is in the, in the space or thinking about getting into the space. Um, we'd love to, we'd love to have you join our community. So please do. And, uh, before we wrap the episode, I also wanted to share a little bit, uh, about what we're up to in the next few months. We do have an event coming up it's part of our Grow Your Startup series. It's a pitch event, and we've got uh, five startups that are going to compete from our community. Uh, they're going to, I guess, pitch a set of investors, VC judges, that are going to hopefully give some give some advice and help them as they grow and iterate their companies. So it's all about growing. It's not about winning in this situation. And so we want to make sure that we have, um, you know, some great company, great companies, but also great judges that can give that kind of feedback. So. Look forward to the event, and if you want to join the event and you want to learn more about it, about the event timeline, the application, and the event registration, it can all be found over at SOTY.link forward slash grow, grow pitch 2022. Again, it's SOTY.link forward slash grow pitch 2022. And uh, we hope to see you at our event over on uh, online. It's virtual, so you should be able to make it. Like, geez, it's virtual. You can, If you can't make it on your computer, you can make it on your phone or your iPad or your tablet. Just go over to uh, sign up again, SOTY.link forward slash grow pitch 2022, and we'll see you on December 13th. Be there or be square. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the show today. Hope you enjoyed listening. As always, this is number 100. 100. Uh, yeah, we, that's, but that's a lot. We've been doing this a little bit. So we're excited and hopefully hundreds of more. But if you have a startup idea and you want to get it going, today is the best day to start up. Not tomorrow, not the next day. Get it going, get it started, and in doing so, join our community for access to support, expert advice, and all the resources you might need to elevate your startup by simply going to startupofyear.com or go to SOTY.link forward slash apply and join our community today. Until next time, I'm Frank Gruber. Don't forget to hug your loved ones and uh, good luck out there starting up. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Startup of the Year podcast. Be sure to subscribe and we'll be back with another episode soon. 